Hi everyone, Future Alan here. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give you a really quick trigger warning. Some topics such as suicide and miscarriage are briefly mentioned in the movie and therefore mentioned briefly in our discussion. So we wanted to give you all a heads up because we know these are very sensitive issues. Thank you so much. We love you and we appreciate you. Now, back to past Molly, Alan, and Max. I'm Max and you're listening to Zito Slapitas, a Mammoth Club original podcast. Hello, friends. I'm Alan. I'm Molly. And I'm Max. And you're listening to Zetus Lapidus. It is the podcast where we watch every Disney Channel original movie or DCOM in chronological order and spend so much of our adult lives analyzing these things. Have you guys realized that? Like, we've spent so much time analyzing these movies so far. It's not insignificant. That's true. No, and, and hey, listen, we're only just now climbing Everest, right? Like, we have, we have, I feel like we've just hit Base Camp 1. It's strange that Base Camp 1 is uh, Miracle in Lane 2, because that's the movie we watched this week. And what's interesting is that much like the rest of life, some of these hours feel incredibly long. Some breeze right by. You know what, what? What was this week for this? you? Yeah, yeah. Despite being about racing, they did not race right. <laughs> it, they crawled. I thought really, this you be, didn't like this one. I I didn't. Wow. I I I. It was not. Wasn't for me. You know. Okay. It it was. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll break it down. We'll break it down. Uh, the basic show info for this film is that based on a true story. A 13-year-old boy who uses a wheelchair is determined to win a trophy like his athletic older brother. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, it, it misses a lot of the nuance. It doesn't get but I think that that is the central plot. It's better than other plot summaries we've had, I'll say that. For sure. <laughs> than the last one, I for Rip Girls, which is, right, this is everything. That's true. I would like to say, compared to Rip Girls, this movie should win an Oscar, but... Well, how I'm we saying, okay? Yeah. Now listen, listen, here's what I'll say. What was it? I think it was in Rip Girls. We talked about how they've been scaling up decom production, right? And yes. the, sort of the fall off from the color of friendship to Alley Cat Strike to Rip Girls. And the, the writing just went like out the window. And I said that I bet that there were multiple teams. You'd have like an A team, a B team, a C team, and the you know, the F team did Rip Girls. And and that I suspected that because this was based on a true story and because they had Frankie Muniz in it, that this movie got a better writing team. And I think that's true. Oh, you, I, you, I think that's true. You may feel like, you know, it went a little bit slower, but I, the writing in this movie is way better I, than Alley Cat Strike or Rip Girls. I want to be clear. I think this is a better movie than those by miles. I actually do think, and we'll get into it, I think this is a pretty good decom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, it didn't impassion me the way that like horse sense really spoke I think that's super fair. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know that I would say it was as fun as some of these other decoms, but man, like it was night and day. Oh yeah. In the, in the like quality of writing between these last two and this movie. Actual character development felt very refreshing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Not, uh, just, pages of exposition <laughs> telling you the plot before it happens yeah. right like yeah. we yeah. didn't we actually had nuance it was yeah. crazy yeah uh this movie was released on may 13th of the year 2000 uh did either of you watch this movie as a kid i did you did mm-hmm. i remember I, this being a big deal i remember this being really heavily promoted 
I remember, I mean, uh, way more than like a Rip Girls, right? I remember this movie on the promos all over Disney Channel. I don't know if I ever watched it, though, if I'm being honest. Ah, it's a hard there. We are entering like a a period for me where I'm like, I've not. I'm learning as as we go through this exercise that I have not seen nearly as many decoms as I thought I did Mm. because I didn't see this. Like, this is the first time I've I've viewed Miracle Lane, too. So. Yeah, I, I definitely remember it coming out. Like, again, I, I think this was like one of the most heavily promoted decoms, as I recall, um, way more than the one before and way more than the one after, uh, mm-hmm. as as my recollection goes, which, again, sort of leans into my thought that like this was the A team and probably it got top billing. Uh, but I don't think I watched it. I remember certain scenes of it, which is why I'm pretty confident I watched it. Because otherwise, watching it, I was kind of like, did I actually watch this? Or did I just see the promos? Or do I just know mm-hmm. how it's going to end because it's decom? But mm-hmm. there were some very specific scenes that I triggered a memory. So I definitely think I watched it. But again, this was not one that I watched repetitively or yeah. made sure I you know, recorded it with a blank VHS. Mm. Well, the top song of the time... By the way, this is the second time this is this has occurred on this podcast. This very young podcast. We have a a two time top song in a row. The first was Brandy, if you'll recall, very early on in our the boy is mine in our podcast infancy. This is Maria Maria by Santana, featuring the product GMB, returning for a second time, top of the charts. I guess I don't need to sing it again. Wait, was it was it Maria Maria last? Last it week? was. Yes, it I was, was thinking that it was. Why, why was I thinking it was smooth? I guess that would have been later. But also I, I remembered Santana. it being Carlos Santana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was thinking for whatever reason that it was no. smooth. It last was week. Maria Maria because you asked if we would be sharks or jets. That's right. Maria, what's that story. That's right. That's right. Maria, Maria. That's okay. Alan, I'll sing it this week. Yeah, but yeah. if you Alan, don't. Because you actually can sing. I'm going to put all my singing to shame. Right. I'm sorry. I'll sit in the corner now. Uh, Yeah. Don't share your beautiful gift. How dare you share your gift? Uh, The top grossing film, Gladiator. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. That's a good movie. Banger. Banger movie. Banger film. Are you not entertained? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I knew it. Commander of the Legions of the North. I knew it. Chills. And and I will have my vengeance. And how wicked is Joaquin Phoenix in that movie? Oh, it's so good. That movie, like, it's nutty good. I don't think I've seen that movie in 15 years. Are we going to watch that later? I should watch it. I've watched it in the last year for sure. It's just it. so that's a movie that if it comes on like, well whenever you know we paid for cable if that came on cable I'm stopping everything I'm like yeah we're gonna it doesn't matter where we are sorry that gets a stop before ghost adventures Alan would you first you of all keep, first of you all. No. Keep Alan going. Keeps, keeps going around till he hits travel you're gonna channel. pass yeah, yeah, yeah. gladiator to get to the travel <laughs> channel in so, hopes that ghost adventures is on. I've never heard anything more true I don't no think you're gonna detected. stop on gladiator because it's Listen, not ghost adventures Zach Bagans <laughs> maybe maybe if you've Makes been art. one way around the horn already and you know ghost adventures isn't on right maybe then, then you stop then you on stop at tnt it's just who's probably showing gladiator true yeah there you go <laughs> 
Uh, the news headlines of the time. The 45th Eurovision Song Contest. The Olsen Brothers from Denmark won by singing Fly on the Wings of Love in Stockholm. Man, this is some, to- some great news. I do love that <laughs> this is actually on. a competition because I learned about this in that Netflix movie and mm-hmm. was tickled when I found out this was a real thing. So wait a minute. I learned about Eurovision from Epic Sax Guy, which was a meme many years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, bow, God. Bow, 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 bow. Yep. Love Epic Sax Guy. I didn't realize guy. he was from Eurovision. He was. He played for Moldova. Mm. Sure. Yeah. A little fun fact for you. For those listeners, if you've not looked up Epic Sax Guy, you should because it truly is the epic playing of a saxophone. And, as an and be careful how you type it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. S-A-X guy. Epic yeah, Sax guy. Just a little warning from me to you. The only vowel you should be typing is an A. Dawson's Creek made history this week when Jack and Ethan shared a kiss during the season three finale episode of True Love. It was one of the first times you've had LGBTQIA plus representation at that level and sort of overtly on screen. I don't sort of like wait a regularly televised for episode. My life to be over. Good for you, Dawson, and your creek. <laughs> In fact, the WB initially fought showrunner Greg Berlanti over airing the kiss, and it wasn't until he threatened to quit that the network relented. Good job, Greg. Not shocked. Proud of you, Greg. All right. Are we ready to dive into Miracle on Lane 2? I'm ready. On your mark. Get set. Go. That was me. It's sort of more of a flag than a gun in yeah, soapbox it's, car. It's, it's Alan, children's but, car racing. Yeah, they're not firing guns in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a flag flapping noise. It's not terrible. I'll accept yes. it. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very close to my flipping the pages of a book quickly noise. Which is, <laughs> so is, that's true. The life of a dungeon master, Max. You know, you make up sound effects for no reason at all. Anyway, the movie. So back to the movie. The first thing that we see on the screen is inspired by the life of Justin Yoder. So as if, if you didn't catch it from the basic show, this is based on a true story. And we um, are, are taken to through the Yoder household where you get a lot of Seth playing basketball outside with his friends. And then it cuts to the interior of Seth, who is the older brother in this story. And Justin, who is the titular, not the titular character, he is the, the main character of the film. Uh, with all uh, sort of panning around the room, covering a lot of different trophies. And in true to form, we get voiceovers. And I have to say, right off the bat, there is an excessive use of voiceover in this movie. There is a lot of voiceover. It's a lot of Frankie Munez talking to us directly while he is on screen doing a look like he just has a look uh, about, about him when this is happening. So it is him observing his brother, Seth playing basketball outside uh, as he is sitting in his wheelchair, goes over a couple facts about the family. Dad works two jobs. Mom is a bad bitch. Mom's awesome. We do love mom. And also we get old man Vic. And I immediately thought when old man Vic hit the screen, I was like, he's going to be important. Well, he called them hooligans, which I appreciate. Oh, yeah. I think hooligans is a great insult. 
Okay, I, I got to jump in here. Uh, one is uh, you missed one very important detail that is <laughs> a a main theme throughout this movie that I'm going to I'm going to keep harping on because they take the time to emphasize it, which is that when dad is introduced, he comes up and uh, he Ooh. Frenches mom pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and so the main detail that you lost was that mom and dad, they fuck. They fuck. Uh, <laughs> like, I. You know, I'm not just saying this like one time, like, ooh, that was a pretty impassioned kiss. Like, no, this is going to be a beat they're going to keep coming back and hitting. Um, lot, like, mom and dad fuck in this movie. Um, who there is uh, no question that's of right. the single parent counter this year, <laughs> this, right. this week. There is no doubt in my mind that we are not ticking up that bad boy because that's right. they Ugh. make out. Yeah, this- it is, it, it's actually a little weird how many times it's implied oh my okay so i was thinking to myself and i'm so happy that you said that because they bring this beat up so much i was like this is based on a true story so who made the decision in the room that was like the other parents they fuck like i agree call i had the same thought and 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 i'm glad you said that alan because the origins of this story were that the screenwriters went to church with justin yoder and family actually so did vic vic who uh is going to be our, our one of our main characters here he also went to the same church and so i just have to wonder aloud if Perhaps the Yoder parents were known to fuck. Uh, you know, perhaps they they were uh, leaving out pineapples on their doorstep upside down. You know, I don't I don't know. Sign of um, but I, I you have to wonder if that was a known trait of theirs around the was that they a were bit. a little freaky mm. um, because it is absolutely a character trait of this couple in this movie. Yeah, it is. It was in the show notes when they got their character description. It was like, you guys, fuck. And we'll come back to it because if you don't, if you haven't seen it and you think I'm reading a lot into uh, one kiss, trust me, we're coming back. Um, The second thing I'll just say is you talked about Vic being introduced. And let me tell you, when um, the only black character to make an appearance so far in a very white family drives by and they go, that's the neighbor he's mean i thought boy i hope that's not his character throughout this whole movie and that he's not the only black character we find in this movie because how the mighty have fallen since the color of friendship but luckily (laughs) vic gets a a very lovely uh, he he becomes a a character i really enjoy in this film and uh and all things are okay but mm. oh god i had a an immediate like please god no not like this reaction <laughs> when, um, yeah. when we get introduced to vic's character i'd like to say something just a real quick note i'd like to welcome back seth to the yeah, community that's right. theater oh, welcome back he seth. was in brink he was patrick one of the the team puppin soul members. yeah he was a soul skater and i just i uh also wanted to welcome him back he was also in the jersey um, mm-hmm. which we've talked about, not a decom, but a, a Disney Channel show around this time. So. Right. Yep. And so weird. He he was big in the community theater. Oh, he was a big community theater member. So yeah, God. Uh, we are introduced <laughs> to God really quickly. I have to say, of the portrayals of a deity in film or television, this is ranking pretty low on my list because we are introduced to God. And my first thought was, wow, God is a bit of an asshole. <laughs> When he is introduced, because he says a lot of real mean, cliche shit 
to Justin. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is, I'm uncomfortable with how this is being portrayed in front I'm of me. I'm also uncomfortable with the idea that God's a straight white man. So we <laughs> have that in common. With mutton chops, no less. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 really I, was, I was really drawn to his mutton chops yeah. specifically. Uh, they were quite impressive. Mm. And yeah. you know, he's a NASCAR driver, so he's got a lot of talents. It's it, a, it is a, it's a weird, I, mm, mm, it's an odd choice. It's an odd choice. My, my just microphone just fell so over because I'm so uncomfortable. It slapped your microphone? I don't, I don't, <laughs> it just feels like a very odd way to portray religion in a children's movie. It's so mm. they, they do so many things well. And I'm just going to kind of say this at the outset. They handle the spina bifida uh, uh, that Justin Yoder has, they handle his his uh, condition very, very well throughout the film. I think that's probably the highlight of this for me is how well that is handled, which is a very delicate issue. And I think for the target demographic of this film as a DCOM, it's handled very well. And, 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 and I'll just add on to that. Pretty complex family emotions that that have to do with that. Like, I actually think like, we're going to get into some pretty complex emotions from a brother that is handling like wanting attention from a parent who's obviously giving attention to his brother and like, and the tension between the brother being a really skilled athlete. And like it, I think they handle like some pretty complex family dynamics in this movie pretty well. But yeah, I mean, I know what you're going to say that there is one part of this movie that is quite odd. I will agree. It's I, just if you handle that well, why, like the handling of religion is. I just not don't know good. that it was needed. Like no. it takes away from this movie to me because it's so bizarre. Like yeah. it's it's just a bonkers way to portray God. And I felt like to your point, Max, I do feel like this is some of the best character development we've seen in any movie. I think there's really good character development with Seth and with Vic. And, uh, you know, even the parents are a lot more well-developed than we see recently. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think the weird God is a race car mechanic with sideburns bit like mm -hmm. takes away from this movie for me. Cause it's just like, I was uncomfortable the whole time those scenes were happening. Whereas the rest I thought was, was very well done. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's poorly handled comic relief. That's what I think. I have so many issues with it. It's very poorly handled comic relief. I, I agree that that's the intent, right? Because it's actually not the only fantastic interlude that we get, right? We get some court scenes that are mm -hmm. sort of in this like fantasy world as well. And I do think that they are meant to bring levity. I, I, I think that this, is both probably giving some moral message and trying to hit on some questions that kids likely ask. Uh, but also I think it's meant to bring levity. What I think is interesting is the idea that it is this like mechanic, because I don't think that it's a simple portrayal of like God as a mechanic. My interpretation when, when Justin comes out of that first interlude we get with him talking to god he comes out looking at a poster of his favorite nascar driver billy right. wade and so this is justin's version of god right that like justin's personification the way he can talk to god is by visualizing god as a character that he idolizes question mark like and so i, I sort of think that's interesting i sort of think the idea of taking something unknowable 
and that is too great to comprehend for a, a kid, certainly, and personifying it as a hero character that Justin knows and has on his wall. It, it, sort of interesting, but I agree. It's, it's a very odd and especially the way they portray yes. uh, through one-liners, Ugh. I think that's is, what it is bonkers. That's, like, I, that's where I get caught up on it, is like, I'm willing to accept that this is this kid's version of what God is, and he is like personifying it through a, a person he knows. And But man, the one-liners they deliver in form of religious uh, portrayal is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's almost like they, it feels very much like somebody trying way too hard to be relatable. Mm. That is, that's where it hits the cringe index for me. And it's, if you're going to do this and you're going to make this a source of comfort and comedy for and a, and a point of levity for a kid who is very obviously dealing with a lot of very incredibly complex things, there are better ways to do that than to try to be hyper relatable in those moments, mm -hmm. I think. Because what happens, at, and this is, this is the stark cut we get. We go from him having this, conversation that is again i think in this initial scene with god as the race car mechanic he is an ass he's an ass he's an ass and we go from that to now justin has to go to a funeral so we're we're gonna jump from this which is a wild scene to we see how justin the character has already handled and accepted mortality which is a massive switch that I have to make, right? As a viewer, the context switch is incredible. And, and we get another one of these like fantastical interludes where Justin sees himself as the person that's at the funeral and he sees the like kind of levity of the wheelchair being, but also rooted in something real. I think my takeaway, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this again later, but on a much more minor level, because this is a big theme throughout, is that, the movie just doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the movie is strong enough without you can even keep the fantastic interludes of the court scene. I, I agree with Molly that like you don't need it. And I think that it's there because the origin story of this movie comes from church and it's really important to the screenwriters and to the, uh, the family themselves and, and their beliefs and whatnot. And so it got, it, it made it in. Uh, but I agree that like, it sort of muddies the water a little bit, uh, regardless of what your beliefs are. I think that the the focus of the movie on Justin's disability and and his his um, dealing with adversity and and this amazing story of him and racing uh, it gets muddied a little bit. I want to cheer for him throughout. I want to cheer for Justin, and I'm stopped from getting fully invested in that with these interludes that feel needless, right? Mm -hmm. That That's what I hear, hear from you and kind of how, how it made me feel. So I do like the courtroom scenes. The courtroom scenes are amazing. I do think those yeah. are funny. And I think they, like Max said, add levity. I just think, yeah, the there's a couple I don't think are needed. But I also, when he imagines himself in the coffin and then has to, then the, the preacher can't think of anything to say other than he had a really nice wheelchair. Obviously, that was very much rooted in his feeling that he hadn't accomplished anything yet. Sure, yeah. Uh, which we're going to, is going to be a very common thread. We're going to hit that beat over and over again that he hasn't accomplished anything. But it actually reminded me immediately of a paper I had to write in ninth grade where we had to write what we wanted our funerals to be like. What? What? <laughs> yeah, we had to write a paper that was what 
do you expect your funeral to be like? What or what would you like your funeral to be like? That fucking is assignment. fucking crazy. Molly, <laughs> I, know. I want I, you to know. <laughs> I had to share because I had thought about it. And then I was like, that's a crazy thing I had to do as a 14 or 15 now, year old. Now, hold on. So I remember, and Max, I don't know if you had to do this, but I remember having to write a paper of, at the start of a school year, of what I would say to myself as a senior. So I think I was a freshman in high school when I wrote this. And like, what would you say to yourself as a senior? Sure. Very different. Very different. Mine's a, for the record, my funeral sounds awesome. And I wish Ah, I could attend. I bet it does. It's a party. I bet it does. It was basically a party. So just take notes. Yeah, mine to be a um, So Yeah, it was, it's it's a weird thing that I just remembered. And... Uh, we can move on. Uh, we can <laughs> well, that. so we go from the funeral. And, and, and anyway. <laughs> anyway, so we go from the funeral to Justin continuing to grapple with the fact that he feels like he has not accomplished anything. So he's taking and grasping at straws for anything that he can to to engage in something. He sees accomplishment as being like his older brother, which is excelling at a sport. He wants to go get a trophy. The entire goalpost of his existence is getting a trophy to fit, to put on his shelf because his brother has so many on uh, across many shelves on his side of the room. I did show. like that when they they chose to, his his brother is canonically good at everything, but what I liked was them really hammering this home by showing him being good at soccer, <laughs> a sport that is explicitly about the use of your legs. I, I thought that that was oh, like of all that. the sports that they could have shown in this moment. They're going to show the one that is explicitly about your use of legs. Kicking things. Yeah. In fact, not using your hands is part of the whole thing. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh no. Uh, But we are going to, we're going to start to see a very important beat right here. And that's that dad can't make it to the soccer game. Mm. And uh, Seth, older brother, says thanks a lot to Justin. He doesn't explain why thanks a lot, but as an adult, I figured out pretty quickly, I'm sure you both did too, that dad has to have a second job because of all the medical bills from Justin. Because he's mentioned, like, I've had 24 surgeries already in my life, and and obviously he has a a very serious medical condition that requires a lot of care and a lot of hospital visits. But um, you get this first beat of the resentment from Seth to Justin, um, which I don't know if I expected to be in this movie. Mm. I'm glad it is in this movie because yeah. that is, I think, one of the most important plot lines. But because you expect the resentment of Justin to Seth, you expect the resentment of, I mean, that's how it opens him looking outside, watching Seth and his friends play basketball. You expect him to resent the the brother who's got the trophies who can play sports and he can't. But you don't expect it to go the other way. And this is our first hint of that. It's, uh, as Max said earlier, part of really complex family dynamics that are handled splendidly. And the best part about it is that it is threaded in to a point where it feels like you get to watch that natural progression play out over time. Again, nuance. Thank God it's back. Welcome back, nuance. Yeah, and, and what I actually like about it is that it's not, eventually it'll get here. But what I like about it is that it's not like, I want a car because I'm a 16 year old kid and I can't have one because you got to pay for, for Justin's medical, but it's not something materialistic that's driving this resentment. It's I want my dad at my game and my dad can't be there. Something that doesn't cost anything. I just want 
the support of my parents and my dad can't be there because he has to be working all the time because of the, I, I think that it wouldn't be as powerful if it was, I want a car because I'm a 16 year old kid and, and like, we don't have money that would, that not unreasonable, a, a reasonable thing, but it's like, well, go get a job kid. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the, the impact of like, I just want my dad to watch me play the game is way more powerful than uh, if this were a materialistic beat in the story instead. I, in uh, thinking about all this family stuff and then getting into a lot of, uh, Justin talks a lot about his own mortality throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, He says a few beats here shortly where he talks about how he very lightheartedly says like, oh, there's, this is what's wrong with me. And if, I get a bad enough headache, I'm dead. Like he basically mm-hmm. is like very blase about it. And it, it made me think that this is another one that light color of friendship Disney marketed as something to watch as a family mm-hmm. because it addresses some big issues and some big questions that um, in a, in an approachable family way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely remember it getting pushed hard. I, th- I think that's why I remember so much of the promo. Whereas I don't remember promo of rip girls or, stepsister from planet weird which is our next one like i remember this movie getting promoted all the time and it's not surprising once i watch it it's not shocking to me that 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 that's true there is a little bit more that happens at the soccer field it's mostly we have that interaction with seth and justin where seth says thanks a lot justin and then seth abandons a post game post win ritual that he would normally partake in with uh justin But we get back to the kids are all home. They've all sort of done the thing. This is another interaction between mom and dad. And Justin gets a flyer for a baseball baseball team. He then takes it to Seth, who is hanging out with two of his friends, who I don't know if they are named. And there there are a number of lines that are delivered here that I had to stop and go back and rewatch. We haven't heard a line in a movie that made me pause as much as this one since the Nazi joke Mm. in under wraps. Because the first one that hits is Justin hands the flyer to Seth and says, I'm going to play baseball and newspaper boy says as what a base. Mm. That's not what got me. (laughs) Now there are worse lines that happen after that. And by after that, I mean, Immediately after that, because Seth hits him with Molly. What do you, what is well, it? Well, Seth goes into big brother mode yeah. and he's, he like kind of smacks him and he says, Hey, which is nice because you have this like, yeah, sure. It's kind of like, I can talk shit about my brother, but no one else can right, like that, right. like protective thing. But then he says, Hey, does your mom have any kids that survived? Yep. And I choked on my water and said out loud, was that a miscarriage joke? Not cool. I, I I could not believe it. I backed it up and watched it again to make sure I heard what I heard, and I did. And that is- I didn't understand that line either. Like I I I tried to to like think of any other context that that could have been. Like like do 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 all of your the kids in your family say stupid stuff and they get like beat up? Like, uh, like, is there any other context that this line makes sense in? And yeah, it's a it is a wild one liner. Because the only other context I could think of was like, yeah, I'm gonna murder you because you yeah. said that, and yeah. that's. 
but like that's not good either. <laughs> but the implication of that is that the, the other, other kids one. have also. But oh, God, I, yeah. I, I think it was a miscarriage joke, and I'm horrified by that. Yeah, it's crazy. That yeah, and that's does not, not belong. That's not the only like line that made me double take. In yeah, this there, movie. there were a couple, but that here. one for sure made me stop in my tracks, and I could not. There's a line by said. God that I don't remember when it happens, but I was like, "Well, that's fucking insane." Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember which um, engagement with God it was, but he said a crazy one. I After just, we have that absolutely horrendous showstopper of a terrible line, we get our first judge sequence mm. where Justin has taken home the flyer. Seth has already advised Justin like, bro, it's not a good idea. Like you can take it home, but it's probably not going to work out for you and takes home the flyer. Sure enough. And we get the judge sequence, which I loved. I love the judge sequences. Seth is the, is the presiding judge. And then you have the defense and the prosecution. Dad is playing sort of like the, the prosecution is saying, here's why Justin can't do the thing. And mom is going to town of like, no, we're going to make it happen. Our kid is going to be able to do the things that he wants to do. It's just a really nice way of showing serious conversations, right? That's a very it serious conversation. It reminded me a little bit of Lizzie McGuire. Like, oh, oh yeah, it does too. have that feel. Yeah. Like, like the way to show the kids inner monologue and the way to show how the kid's feeling about this. Thing. instead of having just a boring conversation of the parents like debating the pros and cons of him playing the sport they do this like fantastical kind of cartoony kid version of it that that, I, had, I haven't thought about that show in a long time but i agree that is what it feels like i think about lizzie mcguire like every day probably so, oh. yeah, yeah. Well, makes okay. sense yeah you get this it. is yeah, there's a lot of similarities ultimately what comes of this is that mom convinces dad that Justin should be able to at least try out or put his name in the hat for the baseball uh, league. And we go to, you're now at the, uh, you're now on the field. He is trying to sign up. He's drinking a nice big gulp. I presume. It's a slushy. And we get a classic recurring villain that appears here. And that is insurance. <laughs> That's mm. true. The, the coach of the baseball team is very, very concerned about insurance in this. Well, at least it's not insurance fraud, which is normally what we're dealing with in DCOMs. This is, we're wanting to be on the up and up with insurance, although insurance is often an issue. What comes of this is that Justin is unable to join the team after a, a slushy puking incident. This is, this is one of the scenes that as soon as I saw it, I viscerally remembered it. The, mm. the barfing up of the blue slushy. And it's led that or it's it's been followed up by saying that another one of his health concerns is that he like wets his pants and he, he has stomach issues so he like throws up pretty regularly which you, i mm -hmm. mean you feel terrible for this kid that would just yeah it's hor i mean horrible to be 13 and peeing your pants and throwing up and like oh mm -hmm. you feel your heart breaks for him what's also really horrible as i watched it play out was the scene that happened after and i don't know how either of you felt about it but it made me really uncomfortable is as they're driving back from the baseball field, they're sort of in the minivan. You have Seth and Mom in the front seats, and Justin sitting in his uh, in his setup in the in the middle section of the minivan, and they're talking about him as if he's not there. Yeah, it's awkward. Mm. And that was layered because uh, I mean, I'm. Uh, that's just so hard to watch. Mm -hmm. Like that is, and also I think real. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I think that's real. I think that is something that happens. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that 
it is tough to watch and uncomfortable and also probably true to that family dynamic. It's, I mean, it, there's even the point where Justin's like, guys, I'm not dead. <laughs> like I'm literally right. And, and they just breeze past it. And again, that's to hammer home the point that like there's, there are complex family dynamics at play here. And Seth is now starting to vocalize those. In fact, I think that is the catalyst that uh, as I think about it now, that seems to be the catalyst event for Seth going to therapy. Mm. Because I did like prior to there was a nice touch in that scene, Alan, that was pretty subtle that I enjoyed when they're going to the baseball field. Um, they're playing take me out to the ball game and mom and, and Justin are singing along to take me out to the ball game when they're driving back from the baseball field. They've modulated that to a minor key and they're playing take me out to the ball game, but in a minor key. And I was like, you know, that's that's subtle and clever. And I like that. Like it was it was a nice like, oh, we're sad now. And it's a parallel of like you see the van going and we're in a major key and it's happy and we're singing along. And now we're coming back and it's a minor key and we're sad and, and you get this uh, uncomfortable conversation. It, it was nice. It was a nice a, parallel. It's a nice touch. But yeah, you get it. Seth is finally starting to vocalize like I'm sick of having to do all these things because of Justin. I'm sick of like him embarrassing me. I'm sick of like he's he's finally starting to vocalize these uh, feelings that he's been building up. This mm-hmm. is also where we get a, a second conversation with God, although this time it is in the seat side by side of a NASCAR race car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily remember the full context of this conversation but what i do know is that it is filled with platitudes that the god driver person throws at throws at justin it was worth noting but nothing wild happened here nothing too wild i suppose justin then understanding that he's not going to be on the baseball team shifts his focus from something that requires athletic prowess right somebody being able to get up and move around and be mobile in space and says, I'm going to do, I'm now going to compete in chess. A reasonable goal. Uh, he shares with Seth that he's very confident. He's been practicing for three whole days yep. and is going to enter a tournament to go try to win that trophy. This is, this is when I started to feel really sort of, it's another one of those real moments where it's like, it's being, it's hitting you over and over and over and over and over again to where it's starting to sort of like erode that, that feeling of like, oh my gosh, like the, the barrier I'm building up is eroding around this. His obsession with the trophy really started getting to me here. This is not like in a I'm annoyed by it way, but in a my gosh, like this is what this kid is fixated on. And that yeah. is so real and raw because it uh, represents everything his brother has. Right. Mm-hmm. It represents his brother's ability to compete, his brother's ability to win. And he can't. And so a trophy is a physical representation of your ability to be good at something. And yeah, it becomes his like main focus and he doesn't even care how he gets one. He just wants one. Are there no participation trophies in this universe? Because it could solve a lot of problems. (laughs) Well, brother gets first. A lot of things. I think it transitioned from, Hey, you played to, I want first place. I think, I think we very quickly transitioned from getting on his shelf. Yeah. Yeah. This is also around, I believe, when we are introduced to his headaches, right? Being a main mm. trigger for I think we already got that, issues. but that is good to know that the main sign that things are going wrong is that he gets a headache. Because he gets a headache at one point and yeah, his whole family like freaks out and they're like, 
get the bags, stop, call the doctor, call, you know, like they freak out. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's not that kind of headache. Yeah. Right. I think it's, it's worth noting. I didn't realize, didn't know if it happened at this point or if it happened previously, but it's worth noting it's that, that is a, that is a key plot trigger that we have. The, the next thing we get though, is him going to compete in that chess tournament. Mm-hmm. And after three days of practice, he's, he showed up, he, uh, fibs his way into the bottom division playing against seven to 10 year olds, even though he's 11, but he's, around 10 as the lady asks him when he checks in he looks young he passes for young and so he sort of fibs his way in and then you see him play against a a kid who he thinks oh i'll I'll beat the seven-year-old and he gets trounced immediately which is unsurprising that that seems real as well beaten by an embryo is the line that is uttered (laughs) on the on the voiceover and i literally thought what Come again now? I will. I will just quick note here. Not that this is important, but he puts that kid into check, and then that kid moves a different piece to put him into checkmate. And technically, that kid would have to make sure his king was defended. He wouldn't be able to move that bishop to put him Thank into checkmate. You. And so, I have some issue with the actual chess play that's in this scene. But I understand that it's not actually important. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, he's so determined to get a trophy. He goes and sees Vic at a car show and assists basically Vic in getting the, votes? the car show in the parking lot is like an antique car show um, but you win based on votes from the passersby it's not a like nicest car wins it's a popularity contest and old man Vic is not very friendly he yells at everyone so no one's gonna give him any of their tickets but Justin is Wiley and is like they'll give tickets to a kid in a wheelchair which I appreciate that self-awareness like yep. I appreciate that he knew that and he goes and he tells old man Vic like I will uh, help you get votes if you give me the trophy that is it is so interesting the complexity of Justin that he is so aware of certain things he's aware of his own mortality he is aware of his situation and his the impact that he has sort of societally as somebody who is in a wheelchair um as somebody with spina bifida in his condition, he's very aware of those things to a point where it's almost uncomfortable, right? Like I'm very aware of those items, but then there are other things because he is a 13 year old kid that he just does not have any awareness of that a 13 year old kid would have. And it's a startling contrast in maturity on those things. And that Mm. didn't really hit me until you mentioned that when he just like, right, listen, they'll give it to me. I'm in a wheelchair versus what we see later, later on play out with Seth. So it's, it's such a cool contrast. And you know what? That's like everyone I know. I'm I'm obviously incredibly lucky and grateful that in my life I've not I've not been challenged by something of that degree. Um, but everyone that I've met that has even even on a minor level of like, hey, I have or on a relatively minor level, I have an allergy that is incredibly dangerous. And I've had that allergy since I was five years old and it's an egg allergy. And like, if I were to eat it, my life would be a danger. Like that person is aware of their mortality at an incredibly young age. And not only are they aware of it, they're responsible for it. They go to a friend's house when they're seven years old and their friend's mom makes them like they have to manage the risk of their own death at an incredibly young age. And I've definitely had interactions with people where I'm like, holy shit, that was a blunt way to say that. But they're like, yeah, but that's my life. Like, this has been my life for 15 years. And like, I know that it's uncomfortable for you, but 
it's not your life. Like this is just the circumstances that I deal with every day and it's normal. And so like that, that feels real to Mm -hmm. me that he would have that level of bluntness and it just is what it is. This is what I deal with every day. Plus there's always the, like people use humor to cope with dark situations. It would be really dark to sit around all day, every day and think if my head, one thing happens to my head, I'm, I'm dead. It's probably, very much a coping mechanism to to make the mm-hmm. jokes and uh i also uh, like again this is a nice subtle touch it's kind of like the seth like parent at the game thing they don't just make it that like justin goes and gets the boxing win in a very quick line he's actually told at the car show vic has the nicest car here but he won't win and so what i like about that again it's fast and it's subtle and it probably doesn't matter in the long run he actually deserves the win if it were about quality, Vic should win, but people are like, he's never going to get it. And so it, again, it's really subtle, but it makes it that when Justin goes and wins, well, he, he had the nicest car anyway, not Justin is manipulating people into picking a shitty car. It's right. like, no, Vic has a really nice car. Um, and it's mostly that like people are judging him for being grumpy or whatever. I think it makes the whole thing get delivered better. Like it, it feels better to root for Justin in that case versus like, well, that guy has a way nicer car that he worked much harder on, but you're a kid in a wheelchair. It's easy to root for Justin when they put him in scenarios that feel right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Also of note at the car show, his doctor comes by, his pediatrician, and he says, oh, how's Seth? Because Seth has been going to weekly doctor appointments, and um, his parents just say, yeah, he's fine. It's just a weekly doctor appointment. But the pediatrician says, I, I don't know how Seth is. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in months. So that triggers Justin to think, what kind of doctor could Seth be going to? And I'm sure as adults, we all knew exactly what kind of doctor Seth was going Mm -hmm. to, but Justin doesn't. And we, as an audience, aren't actually going to find out for a little bit. You know what we do get, though? We get Justin doing some snooping. He wants to know what what Seth is doing. So he goes into his parents' room to try to find some secrets to where Seth is going. And what he does find is... Sex oil. Yeah, yes. that's right. Flavored yeah. strawberry sex oil. I could yeah. not believe my eyeballs. It says massage oil, and that's lube, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think it that's is. Lube. <laughs> it's that's lube. lube. Yep. That's not massage oil. That's lube. Like, I can't believe that's in that movie. He literally is going in his parents' bedside table drawer, the goodie drawer, as they call it on Sex in the City, and he literally finds strawberry flavored massage oil and he as like a 12 year old or however old he is is like huh and then puts it back but we're gonna put a pin in that because we're gonna talk about it again it will i, go back I up. thought to myself as he's snooping around i thought to myself he goes for that drawer and i was like wouldn't it be crazy <laughs> <laughs> because huh? I had already made a mental note of like, oh, they fuck. I, as he went for that drawer, I was like, wouldn't it be crazy? They would never. Like very quickly in my mind, I go from like, that would be a crazy thing to holy shit, they put lube in this movie. Like, huh? I 
was stunned. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. This isn't me reading too much into one kiss. No. They are canonically <laughs> very sexual. It's wild. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought at first he was snooping in the brother's room. <laughs> and I was like, are we about to get a like safe sex talk about teenage, teenage sex? Because they had kind of like had the very subtle like D plot of him flirting with that one girl. Yeah. yeah and I yeah. was like, are we, is he going to find condoms next? Like what's right. going on? But then I realized it was the parents room, but <sighs> yeah, they, they literally just show it, drop it and you're done. They're going to come back to it, but it was such a quick moment yeah, in time. I didn't get that. I just time. love that. They canonically, I mean like, Hey, I'm all about the sex positivity, but it is wild to me that they like made a point to make this parents relationship overtly sexual in this mm -hmm. decom. They mm -hmm. don't, they are they are all out there about it. It is like very. It's multiple times it gets a mention. Good True. for the Yoders. Good, yeah, good for the Yoders. Yoders. Yeah. Um, but then he also finds a like the planner, I guess the you know the the calendar, and it has Seth Doctor and the phone number. Mm -hmm. He calls the doctors and he says like I'm doing a project for school. I need to know what kind of doctor you are. And he gets the answer and he has kind of like a shit eating grin on his face. But we don't get the answer quite then. Mm -hmm. Jump cut to outside. Vic comes by, is tries to drop off the trophy, does not end up giving it to Seth. He wants to give it directly to Justin, and Vic drive up, drives off on the road. After arriving back, Seth and Justin have a short interaction, which leads to Justin making his way to Vic's house to try to pick up the trophy because he wants it. This is what he's been working for. What, it, what in, eventually happens is he finds a trophy. It's sitting on the top shelf of the of Vic's garage over the, the nice car. It's not even the trophy. It just says metal. And uh, he's like, yeah. that's got to be it. Trophies that's are made of metal. Yep, same thing. Reaches up to try to pull it down. And ends he, up breaking the shelf, wrecking the car. Car rolls out of the garage. Shenanigans ensue. You're watching that scene the whole time, and you're just like, he's going to fuck up that car. And yep. then... Oh, he fucked up that car. Yep, that, yep. that tracks. Like <laughs> There it is. And then we get a second judge scene. I'm actually glad they gave us the judge scene because I was braced for the uncomfortable yelling of Vic coming out to find his prized mm -hmm. uh, vehicle that he won't even drive on the road. He makes very clear, like, this is just an antique car for show. Um, and I was, like, braced for the uncomfortable Vic finding Justin scene. And I'm actually really relieved they did this as a judge scene instead. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we will get that kind of interaction with Vic in a little bit, but not before they redeem him a bit as well, right? Like, they're going to show you that Vic is not all mean, and then they're going to give you the Vic yelling rather than having Vic yell from the outset and making you really think like, oh, God, he's going to be more of a hostile character in this movie. They did a really good job of, of setting up Vic's arc here because it's they decide through the judge scene that Justin is going to help Vic clean the garage and sort of take care of the area around it. And we cut to Justin and Vic doing a, a walkthrough of the area and sort of assigning the tasks that Justin is going to do. And then we get some nice two or three nice scenes with Vic and Justin bonding. I do want to point out that one on this little tour, there's a shed in the back yard ah, yes. and uh, Justin's like, what's in the shed? And Vic's like, that's the plot shed. That's later in the script. Don't go in there. Yeah. Um, inside that shed is plot. Please don't go the in. The whole plot in mm -hmm. my entire character arc is held in that shed. Please don't go in there. So you're like, it's, 
Well, he's going to go the West there. Wing. It's the West Wing. It is literally <laughs> yep. the West Wing. It's the and, West Wing. And you're like, well, he's going to go in there. But it's important they, they bring up plot shed. This is, by the way, after the car gets destroyed, this is the God scene I was thinking about because he talks to God again. He's messed up the car. He has to work for Vic. And one, Justin says to God, like, what possible reason could you have to make me work on like work for Vic. And I'm like, well, you fucked up his car, bro. Like that, that's welcome to consequences. But Mm -hmm. the crazy line was God says he, he walks in and he's making a marshmallow and Justin is like, bro, your marshmallows. He's like toasting a marshmallow. And, and he's like, Hey, your marshmallows on fire. And God blows it out. And he goes in my line of work, you got to burn one every once in a while. And I was like, that is fucking insane. Like, (laughs) What a crazy thing to make God say. Like in my line of work, you got to burn one. Are you, was that a reference to hell right now? Like, what a wild thing to put in a decom. By the way, kid, you're going to go to hell every once in a while. Like, <laughs> wow. Is this also the same God scene where he says something where he's like annoyed by people and he's like, look at this. People asking me for trivial favors when there's famines and war in the world. And I was like, yeah. wow, that is a big conversation to be having. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin says, well, maybe you should do something about those. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, God damn, bro. Whoa. It's just like, I that, agree, Justin. <laughs> that was just like a throwaway line of like, uh, that is, are we going to get into a religious debate in this movie? <laughs> like, what is going on? This is what I'm saying. We don't need the weird mutton chop God scenes. Yeah. It just, it, this movie's strong enough on its own. It it's, does not need the B plot of mutton chop God. We don't need it. <sighs> we have a good bonding scene between Vic and Justin here. I actually really enjoyed how they did this because Vic, Vic is very blunt in his approach. He goes, why are you in the wheelchair? Like he he's just he's mm-hmm. he's hitting Justin. What's at, wrong with you? He's yeah, he's hitting Justin at the level Justin delivers, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. They they ping-pong off each other in a way way that's very blunt. And Justin has this rehearsed line about, Well, aren't you Vic asks, Why aren't you worried about this or something? Like, what's good what could happen? He's like, No, I've already rationalized. He has this prepackaged answer around like rationalizing. I see life, life and death as an existential something or other. Like mm-hmm. it, it's all like hundred dollar words that Justin definitely doesn't know what they mean. Like, yeah. And, and Vic looks at me and goes, are you, are you, are you fucking with me right now? He doesn't. Yeah. Say, yes. I, I am and, fucking. With yeah. You. Because then it's the way Justin justifies. is like, I've been asked that question so much. Mm-hmm. I just memorized that. Yeah. And I like what Vic says, which is true where he's like, man, you don't complain. Like you've been doing all this work. You've been working hard. I've had all these different tasks for you. I like that Vic meets Justin at his level. He he says like, I need you to do all this shit and just like rattles off work. And it's not, you know, like, well, here's the easy work that I think you could. It's like, no, clean my yard up. Like do this, do this, do this. He just gives him a list of things and he, he meets him as an equal of not like, I don't think you can do all these things. It's like, no, here's all the shit you're going to do for me. Cause you messed my car up. And then, you know, he comes back to Justin and he says, like, man, I expected you to complain a lot. You don't expect you just do the work. You're a good worker. You work hard. And like, I, I think that mutual respect is is awesome to see. And it's necessary because as soon as Vic leaves. Plot shed. 
Justin does the one thing Vic has asked him explicitly not to do, and that's go to the plot shed. Where yeah. you know what? He's got queued up and ready. <laughs> He's, no, well, okay, first of all, Justin, like, wick, wick, wick on the window, and he sees a trophy. And it's like, <laughs> at this point, okay, I, I understand. I know I made a participation trophy joke. I understand what the trophy represents. I understand how desperately he wants a trophy. But at this point, it's almost, like, comical how much they're, like, punching me in the face it's with this the trophy. MacGuffin of the movie yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. they're like i mean it's wreck it ralph like they are like tr- mm-hmm. shoving the trophy metal like thing in your face because it's like all it takes for him to break into this place that vic told him not to go to knowing that he's old man vic and they've rumored you know all the kids think there's bodies in there and stuff all it takes is one glimpse of a tiny trophy and he's like i'm busting in here and i'm just like right. okay i get you want a trophy but like it's now they could have silly it's getting yeah a they, they could have just shown like the car or like they could have shown something that wasn't the trophy i think is your point and like he he already had he was already curious he already wanted to know it was in the shed so show something entice it doesn't have to be a trophy i think it, it'd be interesting and kind of funnier if they had the car covered up and he thought it was a body or something like that. Where mm. like, cause all the kids, you know, said, Oh, he keeps his, the bodies he murders back there. He keeps all these spooky things back there. Like it would have been funnier to me if, if he was like going to face his fear of finding out what's in the shed and he pulls the sheet back and it's actually this car. I actually think it's better or not, not better than that. I, I think that's funny. I think it's better than what we got. If there's something covered up, I like your idea of it being covered. And he thinks it's a trophy. And when he pulls off, it's the car, right? Like, I think the idea that he expects it to be a trophy or he like believes it's a trophy. And then it's the thing that ultimately will get him the trophy. I think that's a better story than like, look at all the trophies. Like, it, I agree. Like, it, it would be fun if it twisted his expectation. It's a fun vessel for his growth, right? Like, at a certain point, like, because it would help strengthen his desire and obsession with, with what is ultimately boxcar racing. If you pull it back, he's like, this is the thing, right? That, yeah. that makes it a lot more impactful. What we get in this scene is Justin sitting down playing a queued up reel of a little girl doing a boxcar race. And it's at this moment that you remember that not too long earlier, Vic asked Justin if he had several palsy. Mm -hmm. And he says, because I know someone that did. And you see this video clip of a little girl being lifted into this car and uh, racing. And you're like, okay, so Vic's, daughter did soapbox racing and then died and that's why he's cranky like Mm -hmm. it it all clicks together and who should appear but vic and this is when he yells yeah the beast (laughs) get out of here that's oh, are we at the beast. stage show? You're at the stage show. Oh. Roar! I am the master of this castle. <laughs> Roar! <laughs> the roar is my favorite. <laughs> I, I did the recording, actually. It's a little known oh, fact. Nice. Yeah, thank yeah. you. That feels real. Yeah. But yeah, we get the get out. I don't want to hear any of your excuses. I don't want to see you ever again. Get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And I have a question mm-hmm. for you two. Did you ever do that as a kid? Did, is there anywhere that you were explicitly told not to mm. go to and you snuck in there and bonus points if you got caught 
I not not because there was something secret or or anything of that nature. I do remember I got in trouble once and was told like don't go in the shed anymore because as like a grounding or a punishment when I was younger and then I definitely went in that shed again. So <laughs> I think that's a little bit different. That's not like uh you know there's something you're not supposed to have. I was just like I I started with access and it was removed and then I I didn't give a shit. I went back in anyway. So yeah, not like a breaking in, um, yeah. but more so like just not following rules. I can think of two instances. One was going into a closet around the holiday season and finding presents that were definitely going to be from Santa, mm. uh, which led a to classic. Yeah, which led to mm-hmm. that fun conversation. That's a whoopsies. Oops. Yeah. And the second was in first grade. I went through a hole in the fence and was out of school bounds picking honeysuckles. And Aww. I got in trouble for that. Nice. That's, That's cute. cute. That's cute. Yeah. yeah cute. Nearly got nearly got suspended for that one. <laughs> so oopsies. Fir- they suspend kids in first grade? I got sent to the principal's office and they're like, You were out of bounds during recess. And I was like, I was just picking like, honeysuckles. I just, want honeysuckles. I just wanted a little honeysuckle. Oh, I mean, it tastes honeysuckle. good when you suck on that flower. I was doing that actually. That was what I, I was doing when I got caught. Like a like an dude. Idiot. I used to I used to find honeysuckles all the time, and now like I haven't seen a I, honeysuckle in years. Nothing would motivate me to pull a flower off a tree and suck on it. You know I what would. I mean? If I, I saw used a honeysuckle, to do it all do the it. time. I all the time. I used to. Do I want to know if it tastes as good as I remember. Or if it was it just like, taste good. you know, like, did was it actually good or was it just like this novelty little kid thing? Yeah. You know what we got to do next time? We just find a honeysuckle. Yeah, find a honeysuckle tree. Yeah. Bush. Uh, tree bush. Who knows? I don't, I don't have know. to look it up. I, I legitimately, remember. I feel like I, I when I've I was a kid, one. they were everywhere. And now that I'm adult, maybe it's a thing that only exists for children. Like, I think Are once you southern? grow up, you can't see them anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah like yeah it's like tinkerbell you have to like i think they're i think they're southern i don't know i I definitely had them in tennessee for sure yeah i feel like we're maybe too hot here and probably not the right climate they were not you but i think where we Mm. all were i think is where they live i don't think i never got caught but Mm -hmm. um in my neighborhood at the very end of the cul-de-sac there was Mm -hmm. a like very large property being built Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood kids and I used to sneak past the construction, mm. like tape and construction, and go play in the mansion. Mm. That's like, fun. While I was like empty mm. and like half built, and I'm sure we could have gotten in huge trouble, but or injured. Speaking of insurance, yeah, yeah, but it was like down further at the very end of my neighborhood. There was like some bajillionaire that like bought multiple houses and knocked them all down, and then was building this mm. like ginormous house and we would sneak in there to like play hmm. probably like this kid's age oh i'm sure my mom told me not to go but i did. sure obviously yeah. now back to your regularly scheduled Z. this will be this episode tell us about your break-ins kids. Yeah, where, where'd you break in listener? right. listeners listeners where were your childhood break-ins what we get is justin getting obsessed with boxcar racing that is the point of all of this is this is now mm-hmm. going to be his outlet he has not been able to do anything else but this does not require anything other than an ability to drive which he has so he takes it to his family and fully expects another judge scene and mm-hmm. doesn't get one. No. Because they buy in 
immediately. I do mm-hmm. think these are very good parents, and we are coming off of what uh, we all agreed upon as the worst dad in DCOM history. Mm-hmm. I think, dis- well, dad dad wavers a little bit in a bit, but like sure. I, I do think they're pretty good parents in a very difficult situation. Like the fact that they're not, you know, worried he's going to get hurt, which I know they are, but like they immediately like see how excited he is, see how this is something he could really do. And they're in, they are like, great. You got a thing. Let's do it. I mean, they say like, we have to make sure it's safe. Like they, they put that caveat, but they're like, yeah, we're in cool. We'll check it out. Like there is that immediate support. It, it just feels like there's a lot of movies or shows where there is a kid that is, you know, sickly and the mm. parents won't let them do anything because they yeah. want to keep them in this bubble. And these are not those parents. These parents Correct. are like, we yeah. want you to, to do as much as you can. So we're in. We also get the third instance in a few scenes after this of another reminder that uh, these yes. parents fuck. Yeah. This is my favorite. That's right. Where- yeah, that's right. Because after they approve of Justin's uh, interest in, in soapbox car, uh, they get up from dinner and um, they begin to break apart and mom says, uh, you know what I'm in the mood for? Strawberries. Strawberries. And then heads up to the bedroom, <laughs> to which Seth says, isn't it weird that they keep strawberries in the bedroom? Justin goes, it's not strawberries. No, Emily. <laughs> so, you know, Molly, you just asked if, if we as kids had ever, you know, gone into a place that we oh, no. are you about to ask to if, if oh, and well, i don't know so what you're about I, to ask. Yeah, you're about to uh, ask about lube or what and, well you know you just asked if if we as kids have ever gone somewhere we weren't supposed to go and bonus we got caught have you ever um after dinner been in the mood to taste flavored lube or um, <laughs> just as a curiosity you know have you ever been in the mood for strawberries or what i what i want to add to this is that not only does she say i'm in the mood for strawberries like all sexy like that she looks back at dad she gives him very sexy bedroom eyes and he kind of goes like Ooh. Like he like <laughs> kind of has like an out like he makes a noise and has like a little little uh Pep in spring step. in his step yes yeah, he follows yeah. her and makes yeah. eyes back and I also want to point out that before she says that he basically like goes all right you wash you dry we gotta go like they like, yeah. could not get to the bedroom faster <laughs> <laughs> yeah you like oh. um oh, wow. um so that's a no on the question or <laughs> you know, I, I, I just want to say um i haven't ever had a desire to eat any I, sort of I flavored say lubricant that if you've ever heard me review food you know i don't like sickly sweet artificial fruit flavored things so. <laughs> i feel like that checks all of there those boxes <laughs> yeah so what we're saying is listener you tell us if you've ever <laughs> <laughs> listener you have two assignments where have you where been you that you shouldn't have gone and what's and your flavor lube do you like yeah exactly oh, god, that's so... god i just am so like tickled by how much they keep hitting this beat of like <laughs> and i think we even skipped one because there's a scene At the where like table. dad is like sucking on her neck and like yeah and he's and, like do you have time and she's like oh i gotta show another house and this is before, like, they rush off to the bed. I, like, we're not even hitting all of them. Like, 
there are very, very multiple overt references to their healthy ass sex life. I'm like, <laughs> good for them, man. I'm proud of them. Do you have time? Like, that's that's very clearly what he's. Oh, mm-hmm. he's. They just omit the last piece of that sentence, which is a gerund phrase of "to fuck." Do you have time? Oh yeah. To to go to pound to town. I mean, he's he's like dance. he's like mouth on her neck and ear when he and is. She's kind of like she's slide. like kind of trying to get ready and like she's giggling like yeah yeah and she's got to go show a house you know what i agree good for them they have two children one of which has a medical condition they are working lots of hours i'm proud of them i think to be honest it's the most unrealistic part of the movie and i (laughs) i hope not but like i think the reality is that most parents that are in this situation you see a lot of marriages that struggle in a huge way when uh when your family or your marriage becomes about uh, a child with a disability or about a child that like Mm -hmm. there's so much money you have money stress financial concerns that are coming up you have like time split so much time spent doctors like i think that this is probably the most unrealistic part of this whole movie uh and and that is including uh god being a nascar racer but i (laughs) i like that it's being i mean i think it's awesome uh i think it's surprising that a disney channel movie is making sex so much a part of a uh, parents relationship but i think it's awesome good for them man yeah, yeah they, time to fit they, it in good they for them. do say that financial concerns are the number one cause for marriage issues and yeah. we've already established that's a huge part of this so yeah good for the yoders we then jump immediately to we sort of miss a lot of the conversation that happened off screen which is the parents convince vic to sort of be a no actually no, i'm no, sorry they, i'm no, sorry i missed that he this does. is justin justin well, goes to vic justin kind of omits that vic is going to help him he says like they say you know where'd you get this idea for soapbox racing and he says vic you know he knows all about it he's going to help me like he he kind of fudges it a little bit and then he does go over to vic he apologizes he brings him some cookies and he says, like, please help me. I really want to do this, and you know all about it. And he said he agrees that he'll get him started. Yes, you are correct. Then we get to the boxcar race expo, effectively them just going to watch one of the races. And Vic is a savant, not really a savant. He's just done it so much where he's got a lot of knowledge in his head and starts rattling off a lot of really targeted facts to help educate Justin, his dad, and then Seth is also Seth is also there, sort of being more sullen and us. than we've seen him. He's also yeah. doing it to tell us. And I want to point out, this is exposition, but it's well done. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... Uh, the last two movies were just exposition. This is well done exposition because it's fast. And you have Vic informing a family that's interested in a new sport. Obviously, I don't know shit about soapbox car. And so I get to learn with them. You have Seth kind of being the like, uh, neg the, the like voice of negativity there. And like, that can be the voice of the audience. It's like, this is stupid. Why does that matter? Like he kind of be, he's also like the voice of people that aren't buying in, in that moment too, which gives Vic more reason to like respond and answer those questions. And this scene happens pretty quick and you walk out and you're like, I understand why all of those things matter now. I understand why weight matters. I understand why Justin is actually like well suited to be good at this. I understand what the stakes are and and why there's skill involved. And it happens really fast. And I was like, man, good exposition. Wow. What a what a refresher from the last two movies. 
they set up some stuff very important there. The weight thing, I don't know that it's against the rules, but it's very, it's a huge faux pas to look in another driver's car because of how they have set up their car. Um, and then, yeah, Seth being kind of a negative Nancy. But yeah, you're right. They hit a few points very quickly, and we're going to come back to a bunch of them, including he meets a, a lady racer, yeah. Justin. Don't season. get matched up against me. I like her confidence. Good line. You know what we also get set up? We expand on Vic and his sort of sullen, the root of his issues that he's having and the arc that he's on. At the base of the hill, as they're watching the race sort of finish, Justin, who is not letting it go in a way that's very, I, I thought in that moment, I was like, Justin needs to chill. He keeps asking Vic, like, why aren't you telling me this stuff? Tell me what's happening. year old kid. Yeah, it's a 13-year-old <laughs> kid asking the same question over and over again. And Vic says, this is like, my i'm not telling you i'm not helping you because i can't i can't yeah. do it i don't want to stop asking i and found that that off. delivery of that line to be really powerful you know mm-hmm. he says he says i'm telling you the way life is i won't because i can't and i was like and he and he delivers it in a really powerful way he's got tears in his eyes and i was like man that's some real shit right there like that's that is uh, an excellent delivery of what what uh, it, it, at this point was already becoming, and I think I, I'll just go ahead and say, is my favorite character in this movie. Oh, agreed. I think Vic is by far my favorite character in this movie, and I think this delivery of this line is the moment he became my favorite character. And they pay it off well. They pay off this line, this delivery, this entire arc incredibly well very soon, but not before we get a montage. We love a montage. But before to kick off the montage... We're going to drop another seed that Seth is unhappy and that it has to do with dad focusing his attention on Justin because as they're leaving the soapbox derby, he says something like, oh, dad, isn't this lame? And he's trying to get his dad to agree with him and, and you know, Josh around with him. And his dad is like, no, this is going to be so much fun for Justin. So mm-hmm. you're you're digging that hole even deeper for Seth where he feels like his dad doesn't have time for him. He doesn't have time for his hobbies, but now he not only has time for Justin's medical issues, he has time for Justin's hobby. Mm-hmm. And you feel for Seth. I feel for Seth throughout this whole movie. Well, there's 100%. a lot, he's dealing with a lot of complex emotions, right? And we don't, we, we don't really get the full weight of what Seth is feeling until later. But right now what we're getting is Seth is dealing with the fact that he's not getting attention mm-hmm. when he feels that it's something that Justin already gets all this attention because of what Justin is going through, right? This is just compounding the issue. Building montage time. We love a montage. They did this montage very well for one small scene that happens. So you get the montage, they do a lot of the building. It happens rapid fire very quickly with dad and Justin building the boxcar with Seth sort of making appearances and being sort of mopey in the background. And as they're starting to drill the, um, oh, oh goodness, I'm going to forget what they're actually drilling in, but it's for the wheelbase is all I'm going to say. As they're starting to drill it in, Vic comes mm-hmm. and Vic goes, you shouldn't, you, you're doing it wrong effectively. And this is when they loop Vic back into the fray seamlessly, mm-hmm. which he I sort of can't was, help himself. Right. He, right. Yeah. He came back, he came by to, to return the cookie tin that, mm-hmm. that Justin had brought. He didn't come by to help with the race car. And then, like you said, Max, he just can't stay away. Can't yeah. help himself. And we get the payoff of Vic having that line of saying, I won't and I can't. I won't because I can't. When he is in his shed watching 
the film of his daughter and his wife just feeling those emotions. You get that sort of crying scene and it, that one hits you in the feels hard when they bring that one back around. Mm -hmm. It was very well done. And it shows that not only did presumably Vic lose his daughter, but also his wife, right? You're you're, sort of compounding the issue of why Vic is the way he is. And, And it lets you as the audience really sympathize at this point for him and really like him as a, as a character. Yeah. And the, and the buildup after the montage, the, the sort of climax of this building scene, the climax of the Seth relationship, what all of this builds to is while they're building the, the racer, they've, they've found a problem. Problem is that the brakes are normally foot brakes in these soapbox cars. And obviously Justin cannot control a foot brake, And so they have to come up with a creative solution, some kind of way to stop the car. Um, And dad's working on it and it has to be done soon or he's not going to be able to race. And it happens to fall on the same night as Seth is having um, a ball game, a conference championship game. And he says, dad, are you working tonight? No. So there's no reason why you can't be in my game tonight. I'll be there. You're going to be at the game. Look at me and tell me you're going to be at the game. I'm going to be at the game. And then they head to the game. Mom takes Seth to the game. Dad says, I'll be there. I got to keep working on this. I will come separately, but I'll make it. And so they all head. And as you see Seth warming up, dad gets in the car, gets in the van to go to the game. He's going to go. And he pulls up the e-brake on the van and he realizes, oh, this, this is the solution. This handbrake is the solution. And he gets out of the van and goes to work on Justin's car. Um, and he brings Vic in to work on it as well. And ends up missing the game. Yeah. The one thing I'll add is they do ultimately make a handbrake before we get to the Seth fallout. Mm-hmm. They ultimately do make a handbrake. They say, oh, we'll call it the Justin break. They solve the problem. And then in a moment of celebration, dad goes for a hug and Vic's like, uh, 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 just a high five. <laughs> and you know, normally I do like to pull out my script here. And so uh, I just want to um, quickly, um, he yeah, let's, says, let's do the max version. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, Vic says, nah, just a high five because hugging would be gay is what my, uh, <laughs> that's what my version of the script say. You know, I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to be gay. So I can't give a hug. I think Vic just doesn't like people. (laughs) (laughs) I think Vic doesn't want to hug anybody. (laughs) I thought it was a funny scene and it definitely came off. I I honestly can't tell if it is. I'm uncomfortable with physical contact or if this is a 2000 movie and we are uh, no, vaguely think, homophobic. In no, our, they, hug, like, they hug later. I think it, they, I think, they do. That's true. I they think do. they're going to pay it off later because it's like, I think it is all just showing that Vic has been alone for so long and he's yeah. baby steps. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's, High five. They do pay it off later. He's the Grinch. Yeah. He is. <laughs> Stop pulling around. <laughs> so, so uh, we have, what, is he, the, what does the Grinch say? One step at a time. One step at a time. Yeah, that's it. Um, we have the fallout now that happens between dad and Seth. And it feels really well done because dad attempts to explain, albeit poorly, why he did not come to the game. Dad's explanation is so shitty. It's, yeah. it's like, if I can't cheer for both of you, I'm not going to cheer for either of you is the essence of his explanation. And that, ooh, no. Yeah, I, all I wanted in this moment was like, Dad, shut the fuck up. Like, stop talking about you 
and start saying like, hey, what you're feeling right now is valid and and uh, earned. And, I, you know, I'm sorry. Like, fuck it. Shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> yeah. stop saying your shitty explanation, dad. He does a whole story about how he wanted to be the world's greatest dad and take his kids on all these trips. And that changed the minute that Justin came and blah, 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 blah. And, but he still wants to be the world's best dad. Um, but he feels like he can't root for both of them or something. And it's like, to your point, Max, shut the fuck up. This kid's whole problem is that all the focus is on Justin. So mm-hmm. your explanation is just to center it around you and Justin and not Seth. It's legitimizing his feelings. Your, yeah. your explanation has just legitimized every single thing that Seth has felt about the situation. And Seth says that back to dad. Seth mm-hmm. goes, you know what this doesn't do? It doesn't change the fact that this is still about Justin. And then he bails as I think is legitimate for a 14 year old kid to want to get yeah. out of there. The weight of that is just so immense in that moment. Yeah, I think these family dynamics are, are like killer. I think dad's handling of this moment is terrible, but I think that like, man, Seth's emotions, again, like the way they handle some pretty complicated ass dynamics in this movie are is great. They, mm-hmm. they crush with like some very real emotions that are happening in this family. They let that set to simmer too. The, what is very well done about this is that the scene changes to Justin trying out the soapbox car. And dad's there, mom's there, Vic is there, Seth is absent. On a quick trial run down, uh, I think it's down the road outside their house. What comes of this is that the wires of the steering were crossed in the soapbox car, leading to a crash and a family freakout. Mm-hmm. And Justin jumps to the conclusion, I'm not necessarily sure how Justin gets here. I think this is, it was a bit of a stretch for me, if I'm being honest. Justin mm-hmm. gets to the conclusion that, Seth did it. And mm. this is this is the big blow up between the brother dynamic that I think was very real and raw and ultimately very uncomfortable to watch. Also, though, like, did he do it? They never answer that question. No, they do. They say they that do. dad accidentally the crossed dad accidentally. them. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I was like, did he try and murder his brother? Because that would no. be rude. <laughs> well, what, what comes of it is you get Justin confronting Seth and Justin saying, you know, you're jealous that throwing a lot of these really hateful things back and forth. And then Justin reaches deep into the Ooh, bag and pulls out and you're going to a shrink. Bah, which first of all, let's be clear. Listeners, mental health is real health. Take care of your mental health. But in 2000, you're going to a shrink and it's used as a weapon mm-hmm. against Seth in front of his friends. In front it's of his partly friends. to embarrass him. And he's like, you guys think he's so perfect. Well, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to a shrink and like, that results in Seth saying things like, I wish I could beat the shit out of you for once like a normal brother, but I can't. And why do you think we don't go on vacation? And why, mm-hmm. like, it, everything's your fault and I hate you. He says, I wish you were dead. He has made, like, at this point, like, three comments about how he wishes his brother was dead to be, like, mm-hmm. just highly. Which, again, I think it's all very real, but he says it to his face this time of, like... Well, and it's not veiled. It's not veiled any longer. The other threats were very much sort of passing comments. This is direct. I wish you were dead. And then he storms away, which is, oh, that was rough to watch that blow up. And I think they tried to take the edge off too, because you get another VO from Frankie Muniz here. It's like, well, I'm never going to talk to my brother again. Kind of like he tried to play it off and add some lightheartedness to it to take the edge off. I thought that was very intentional. 
and frankly, probably needed after that moment. That was a very heavy set of conversations. I thought that was a very real fallout between the two. And I felt like, like, I don't think you can really blame one or the other, especially not in this moment and especially not in the year 2000. But like Alan said, like watching this in 2022, the idea of weaponizing someone's mental health against them, like really surprised me. And it like rattled me a little bit, I think. like I think in the media, I agree. But I, I think that in 2022, this is still happening with 11-year-old kids. You know what I mean? I think that like, if you're 11 years old, like I don't think you have a uh, developed enough sense of like mental health that if you knew somebody was going to uh, a psychiatrist, you're taking therapy. Like I think that that's probably still used to bully other kids today. Yeah, that's probably true. It just it, I don't know that I can think of. I, it surprised me to be in a decom. I guess mm-hmm. um, it felt m- much like a lot of things we've talked about in this movie. It felt more mature than a decom to have. Yeah that conversation and it, it's it was it was off-putting but i also tend to agree that yeah it's like i remember surreal. similar plot points on like the oc and like sure. more oh. like older mm-hmm. dramas not too long after this this movie so just kind of you know this is why again i think this is kind of more in the color of friendship camp because you're getting into these uncomfortable conversations right mm-hmm. again they set that to the side this blow up happens and it is set to the side quickly for a race montage. We love a race montage. We do. And we, we it, again, a montage that's done well. We see Justin start and not be very good at the racing. And over time, continuing to improve and get better, get better, get better. Coach, work with dad, mom. Seth, to his credit, is there at all of the races. He might not be paying attention, but he's there. I think that is a key addition to the plot here. And it results in a race where a lot of good things have been happening. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Yeah. I just thought about this, and this may be me reading too much into a decom. But at the beginning of the movie, Seth and Justin are being dragged to their great uncle's funeral. And Seth says, I don't want to go. And he asks his dad, and his dad doesn't make him go. Which leads me to believe that knowing Seth is having so many struggles with Justin and the soapbox racing and he's going to therapy for all of this. And he just had that big fallout with dad where dad is at fault and he knows it. I am believing that if Seth didn't want to go to Justin's races, he wouldn't have to go. Mm. So I'm wondering if Seth is going because deep down he knows he should go. Mm. I don't think his parents made him. This, this scene and the scenes that followed throughout all of the races that we see, try as the writers might to have Seth not be engaged. He's there. And yeah. that is, his presence is huge. We see him self-select out at like the biggest event a Justin will go to and his parents let him. So I don't know why that wouldn't be true at much smaller races, right? Like when eventually, spoiler, Justin goes to the Nationals, they're in the hotel and Seth's like, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. and he's allowed to stay. So I don't know why that wouldn't be true at these like community races. Exactly. We get this build up with an emotional conversation that happens prior to between mom and dad, where they're talking about dad is projecting his desire for Justin to win or, or winning in general. And the mom asks, would you be happy if Justin doesn't win? And 
that is like, I'm just happy that Justin is able to do the thing and compete. And it was at this point that I thought some bad shit is about to go down. Like there's no way that they have this buildup with all these happy go lucky things in a decom and something bad or a twist is not about to go down. And they delivered pretty damn well, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought that this uh, interaction was really interesting. And this interaction between mom and dad, uh, it, it ends on a note that I, I think in my extended script uh, has just one extra word on the end of it. They, I think they probably cut it for time because, yeah, they talk about like your own expectations of Justin and, and don't have expectations that are unreasonable. And are you OK? And yada, yada. She mom is talking to dad and, and he says, I'll behave. And, and they cut, I think they cut it for time because again, in my extended script, he says, I'll behave mommy, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I, I think that they must've just cut it for time. So they, they also cut out the writing crop that she had with her at that point too. Like, uh, is that, yeah. that was also cut. Because I, in my version of the script I'm looking at now, it says I'll behave mommy. And it's pretty clear that, you know, that he's saying that to her. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. That adds up based on what we've seen. That track. She is the bad bitch of the family. So true. Yeah. The mama bear, the grizzly. If he's good, he'll, she'll let him um, put on strawberry. <laughs> she'll give him dessert. <laughs> she'll let him have strawberries for oh, a little treat. Right. If he's good, he can have strawberries. Strawberry have fields forever. Um, so he almost dies. Long story short, <laughs> cut to wow. heavy moment. I'm just saying that's what happens next. That is what happens. Uh, there's um, a lot. We see him the, the headaches, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where these come back. He's prepping for a race, and the stakes are that if he wins the race, he goes to nationals. Um, he has gotten better. He's had success, and we have the stakes from the very beginning that if he wins, he goes to nationals, and. Um, we see him dealing with some headaches on the line. You know that's not going to be good. Vic's like, you okay, kid? And he's like, I'm fine. I just got to get through the race. And and they hit you over the head again because he goes, I just need to focus my mind. Trophy. 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 Mm. Trophy. Man, that's Trophy. Uh, and and then we, we uh, have him, of course, take off the race. And the headaches cause him to wreck at the end. That is a rough Very wreck to watch. Wreck. It's a, yeah, that's a wild wreck. I thought it would be very much a cut. You see him swerve and then cut to the wreck. Nope. You watched that all play out. Like mm-hmm. him going through the barriers and running through signs and then ultimately like, smashing into a wall and limp in the it's car. Like lifeless bodies in the car. Mm-hmm. And two, this is, this is an interesting addition that they chose to cut to. They cut to Seth, who was reading a book during the race after the crash throws the book to the side, pushes through people. He's like, that's my brother. And like throws and, and shows up on the scene. Well, I think it's back to the thing from the beginning, which is like when he makes fun of his brother, it's fine. And then when another kid does, he like mm-hmm. knuckles up. Like it's, I think they've established that at the end of the day, he loves him and he's his brother and he cares despite all their drama. Justin is rushed to the hospital. The procedure is done just in time. God. Oh shit. That was a pun. Oh, that was unintentional. I am so sorry. I really thought you were doing that. On <laughs> oh, purpose. no, that was not on purpose. I, You know what? I'll take it. That was done also just in his, time. It's also the name of his race car. It's the name of the car. Yeah, the name yeah. of the race Oh, my God. That is a triple entendre. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah, yeah that was intentional. 100% intentional, listeners. And we get Bobby Wade showing up. Yeah. And, and, and Justin is like, 
God? (laughs) 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 Which had to be weird for actual Bobby Wade in that moment. I have two things to say about Bobby Wade showing up. One. Please explain what happened to Bobby. Please uh, recap the Bobby Wade visit and then I'll... Absolutely. Very very quickly, here is what occurs with Bobby Wade. Bobby Wade show, shows up. Justin believes Bobby Wade to be God because that is who he is envisioned as God. Bobby Wade is naturally confused because he's Bobby Wade, not God. And Bobby Wade knows that. And they have a conversation around... We both know Vic. That's our mutual acquaintance. If we were on LinkedIn, that is our mutual acquaintance on LinkedIn and how we connect with one another. Bobby asks... Justin for advice on how to race on straightaways, which, you know, nice little nod to the soapbox racing. He then uses a bedpan to represent the the wheel of the NASCAR race car. And Justin tells him to handshake the bedpan. And then Bobby Wade leaves. <laughs> so here's my two things. One, a few minutes later, Justin's all excited and he tells his parents like, yeah, my friend Bobby Wade. And his parents are like, what? And because they have no idea this happened. And I just feel like it's really weird that a grown man went to the hospital to visit a child and no one knew. About it. <laughs> it is the year 2000, Molly. <laughs> I just like, like, you can still go to airport gates at this point. You know? sure like, the world just, is a different place. It just feels like there should be a sign in process or something <laughs> go for check visitors the in. No, not for sh- famous NASCAR drivers. Right. You know. and, not uh, for Bobby Wade. You know, What's interesting about Bobby Wade is uh-huh. you or uh, Justin thought is that God, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, is that Pistol Pete from Pawnee, Indiana? Because <laughs> oh, he's in Parks and Recreation playing one of my favorite Pawneeans, Pistol Pete, God, Bobby Wade, whatever you want to call him. His real Tuck name Watkins is Tuck Watkins, and uh, he played alongside one of my personal favorite characters of all time in Parks and Recreation, Ron Swanson played by the uh, incomparable Nick Offerman. Yes. Uh, Nick Offerman also had a short appearance as Randy on the George Lopez show. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Unexpected twist. Go on. Uh, Also on the George Lopez show, in one episode, you had a character named Dr. Holland. Mm. And uh, Dr. Holland was played by Michael Clark Duncan, who you, as soon as... I say his character in the legendary, the incredible, the cinematic masterpiece, Armageddon. You'll know who he is. He played Bear in Armageddon. Mm. He is uh, most known for Shawshank, so you know who it is. Alongside uh, Michael Clark Duncan in Armageddon, Greg Collins played Halsey. Not not the singer, different character. Hmm. Uh, and, and while that was a great role for Greg Collins, I really preferred his role as man number two. <laughs> <laughs> what riveting masterpiece was he man number he two He was in? man number two in Lois and Clark, the new adventure of Superman series. Okay. Yeah. With a digging cane? And... The other titular character, Lois Lane, played by Terry Hatcher, my least favorite of the original Desperate Housewives. Uh Uh-huh. But we're not going to talk about Desperate Housewives. We're going to talk about MacGyver, a classic show Uh where she played Penny Parker. 
and also making an appearance in MacGyver as General Mabuto is Roger Aaron Brown, who in this film is stealing our hearts as Old Man Vic. You've been Armageddon, the part of the show where Molly, by no one's urging, has found yet another way this decom can be tied to the smash hit Armageddon. Don't tell her to stop because she won't. Wow. There it is, everybody. I was really hopeful when you went to Nick Offerman. I know you don't like this show. I get it. But I was really hopeful you're going to go through Gilmore Girls. I actually tried to go through Gilmore Girls, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Because I, it took it was I, taking I me too long. Didn't. I it was taking me too long because <laughs> I away, almost Max. I was going from I had Michael Clark Duncan pulled up because I hadn't used him yet or I've only used him like once. Yeah, and he was in Sin City, which Alexis Bledel was in, and so mm. I was trying to get from trying to get Alexis Bledel to someone in anyone in Parks and Rec because I wanted to use Parks and Rec because mm-hmm. that's my favorite show of all time. And the minute I saw god i was like it's pistol pete so i i knew mm. i wanted to use that one but i like didn't scroll far enough i guess in the gilmore girls IMDb he was on page. yeah he was yeah, on that's funny that's funny well maybe that'll come in handy another time. i mean only a couple episodes it's not shocking to me that he didn't pop he was uh he was jackson's brother famously suki and jackson have a baby jackson's brother comes to help care for the baby uh and he was jackson's brother for a couple episodes mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie to you i was actually trying to find another obscure Pawnian instead of one of the main characters but it was mm. taking too long. like i wanted to find joan calamezzo or um dennis feinstein and i was trying to i if i had watched the movie longer i would have connected it through dennis feinstein because he was on brooklyn 99 as well as the character we're about to meet was but i was doing this before that so Bo belleville was his name in gilmore girls thought you should know Bo belleville yeah. did he have the stash older brother of jackson belleville uh he did yeah oh the iconic stash from the hospital, the parents and Seth come back in to check on Justin. He is discharged to go home. And on the way home, as they're bringing Justin inside, Seth goes in to hear the voicemail. Be, uh, a message is being taken. Picks up the phone. It is from sort of the, it is from the national race. Uh, and they are notifying that we will find out later. They are notifying the Yoder family that... Justin can race in nationals because the person who beat him in the final race had dropped out. Mm. We find this out in a series of fairly uncomfortable conversations where the parents come home, hit a message that plays and that, that Seth had sort of interrupted. And Seth is like, yeah, they called. It's no big deal. Not a big message. They were just congratulating uh, Justin on a job well done. And the dad says, well, Justin should hear that. Then goes to play the message. Seth, Pops the, to stop it one more time. They said he could race. And Seth is, what I got from him that moment was Seth is worried. He's not like angry, upset, or jealous. He, I get more worried from him at this point, which is a new introduction of emotions for Seth in this. I actually didn't get worried initially. I thought he was still being jealous, mm. but I liked that it twisted it and, and it was worried now. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the family celebrates. Dad's hype, Justin's hype. And Seth gets mad and he's like, I can't believe you all are letting him do this and storms off. And then you get this emotional moment where Seth, where dad goes to Seth to check on him and to uh, resolve this. 
and Seth delivers like, am I the only one that's worried he's going to die? Um, and he's breaking down and, and crying and, and yeah, you, you get the twist that he's not being a dick older brother. He's not being a jealous older brother. He's, he just watched his brother crash and be in the hospital and he was worried that he was going to uh he was going to lose him and now the idea of him getting to race again is no I, I, we're, we're incredibly lucky he didn't die last time how are you ever going to let him do it again it was a nice way to i don't want to say resolve but it was a nice way to sort of bring that story back around for seth and make you as an audience member care for him and what he's going through in a new and nuanced way. Again, hey, nuance, welcome back. I thought that was very well handled because we're unpacking some of the trauma that Seth is experiencing and likely feels a lot of emotions that that we don't see off screen, but this is a really important one. We finally get oh, the yeah. truth from Vic. Yeah, we were, we were going to mm. talk about Vic being the pace car, right? Vic rolls up in the antique car on yeah. the road. Vic is the shit in this moment. He's always been the shit, but this is just sort of on screen. And he and Justin hop in the pace car, which is the old antique. and Which again, he earlier said he didn't want to ever drive it because it you know, had to stay in pristine condition. So it just shows that Vic is growing as a person and Gross. has a soft spot um, for Justin. But this is when we get another line that I thought, come again, Disney Channel? Because Vic is explaining that, yes, that was my daughter, she passed away. She had cerebral palsy. She died a year later. My wife died. You know, the doctors gave some medical reason for it, but I think it was of a broken heart. And then he says, I wanted to die, but didn't have the courage. Mm. And I can only assume that's a suicide reference. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. Yeah. And I, I once again was like, holy shit. Yeah. And that wasn't said as a joke. It wasn't like the miscarriage line. It wasn't like un- other inappropriate jokes we've heard in DCOMs. That was a serious statement about a very serious situation. And I could not believe that they said it. Yeah. It's interesting how he brings it back around too, because he's having this conversation with Justin, who have already understood to have addressed his own mortality pretty bluntly. So while it hits, and it is a very heavy thing to say, He's talking about it with a kid who's already addressed his immortality many, many times and mm-hmm. says it a lot. And then Vic follows up with saying, but I met you and the fact that you're going through all of these things and you're still going and you're enthusiastic and you're happy about it, that that forced me to change my way of thinking, which is nice to see that wrap back around because that is a very heavy line and mm-hmm. it was hit like a ton of bricks. But he brought it back around. I mean, he brought it back around to make it seem like he and Justin have a very special relationship and connection because of because of their sort of shared experience. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I I, I respect the line being in there because it wasn't played as a joke. Mm-hmm. I think that we have seen. I, I think Under Wraps maybe had a suicide joke in it, uh-huh. and and it was wild. And obviously, nothing that should be joked about. It didn't bother me at all. In this in this scene heavy unbelievably heavy but it felt earned it felt like that's real it felt like that's something that that guy would struggle with if he lost his daughter and his wife and to alan's point it feels like something he could say to that kid mm-hmm. you know like it's not something he could say to most 11 year olds it's not something he could say to most people necessarily 
But to that kid, I think that he can say that. And it feels totally reasonable to say that to that kid who it wouldn't surprise me if Justin had had similar thoughts, right? Like, I, I think that that is some real ass shit. I, yeah, that line, unbelievably heavy. Uh, a lot of this movie has been unbelievably heavy. And this is another example, but I, it didn't rub me in a wrong way at all. I was just like, man, God, to just keep punching you in the face. Fully it, agreed. It, Fully it, agreed. Mm-hmm. And um, cements how much I enjoy Vic as a character. Yeah, thousand percent. We arrive at the Nationals race. We are introduced to Officer Detective Scully. Norm Scully is there. Norm yes. Scully is there yes. from Brooklyn Nine-Nine with his great flat top haircut. He is known to be a fierce competitor in the soapbox car racing. Turns out his daughter is the one that uh, Justin was eyeing a couple uh, races ago. Mm-hmm. Well, Scully does some real shady shit, and he looks at Justin's car. Yeah. Yeah, after he calls him a cripple. Yeah, that wasn't great. And I thought, oop. I think that this is where I'm going to come back. You know, I said earlier, we were talking about how, like, this movie doesn't need a lot of the, some of the interludes that it has. And again, my feeling watching this was like, I don't need this Biff Tannen character in the last seven minutes of the movie. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? I understand it's paying off the like, don't look at another person's car. Leave that out. I understand that they need a reason for the handbrake to be discovered. How about just a car inspection? Like, I don't need this weird villain character to be introduced in the last five minutes. I'll tell you what the, uh, the, the villain of this movie is. It's, all of the adversity Justin has faced in his life. Like that's what he's overcoming. Not Biff Tannen. Like I, I don't Mm -hmm. need this character to be introduced that I don't care about that. I don't have any stakes in that is just a dick. Like there are plenty of reasons for the handbrake to be discovered in a normal race where likely your car is going to be inspected to make sure it's fair. We already know it's going to get weighed. Like, I, I just think this is another example of like the movie's not better for having this guy in it and it doesn't need the time it uses to put him in there. Yeah. For efficiency's sake, cut that, have it be an inspection. And the, he can flirt with that girl and have a competition with that girl without that, her dad. A hundred percent. Because the crux of this is that we discover the handbrake and there's a knock at the hotel door. Well, not, not, not before the best montage of the whole movie, which is the Seth camcorder montage. That's right. Because they're at this event. It's like a weekend long event. It's a tournament and they give us another montage. It's to a sweet guitar riff. Mm -hmm. But instead of just being a regular montage, it's presented as if Seth was the camcorder holder. And so you Mm -hmm. get the kind of grainy like screen and then you get Seth talking like into the camera very relatable, very relatable. I felt we like Seth in that moment. You know, I'm sure we all related to him. But my favorite part of that montage is at one point he notices Justin just like, like googly eyes at this girl, and he goes, "Has Man Cub discovered fire?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. And I thought that was like a funny brother line. Yeah, it was yeah. nice. It was nice to show the relationship repairing. Uh, because we have the 
commissioner, one of the old white dudes who's on this sort of panel of commissioners for soapbox car racing, knock on the door. Also not before uh, they're watching an interview with what's his face on the TV. Well, Bobby Wade. Yeah. And he's like, I told him how to drive and and, uh, Seth's like, sure you did pal. And then Bobby Wade pulls out the bedpan and is like, (laughs) here's how I'm going to drive the car today. He's got the fucking bedpan with him. And then Seth and uh, the parents are like, holy shit. Cause he says like, yeah, this is for you, Justin. Good luck in your race today. Like he shouts him out. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's cool and, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's funny. Bedpan, bro. I don't understand. Pistol Pete, what are you doing? Commissioner knocks on the door. Says we have found that you have a handbrake. We only allow foot brakes. To which the mom hits <laughs> this like, yeah. Fun fact: my son can't do that. Like it's not altering the car at all. They, they have very valid arguments. Like, well, the rules. It's. It's very much like this old stickler nonsense that I loathe so much as I'm sure both of you do is like rules for the sake of being rules. You're being pedantic. And it leads to a weird trial scene where I shouldn't say trial, but it's a it's a get together where they're Vic, mom, dad, Justin are presenting their case to this panel over the soapbox race commission. And they're about to make a snap judgment on this. Uh. And Seth saves the day. He sure does. By bringing in reporters. News media. media. Yeah, that's right. News media. Um, He talks about how he talks about how he learned in school all about like media access and that he called all these uh, television reporters and and that they're all here and they get to make a choice whether they want to like stand up for equality or be broadcast as being prejudiced. And I liked the response. One of the guys leans over to the other one and says, whatever happened to our disintegrating school system? And I was like, <laughs> ah, I was really, I was really counting on kids to be dumbasses so that I could keep making restrictive rules, you know, like, but ultimately they decide to, to let, let Justin race. I just love that Seth was about to blackmail the shit out of him. Yeah. That's really what it is. Seth is going to do a blackmail. Seth in this moment, for sure. This is the second most unrealistic thing in the movie behind the parents' sex life. Um, <laughs> that he would assemble all those journalists there. In, in two hours. In like minutes. That's right. Yeah. It was wild. We Bye. line up at the starting block. Seth approaches the side of Justin's soapbox car and says to him through this beautiful speech, no matter what the outcome, remember, you're my hero. Seth to Justin. It's so sweet. Did you go a little bit misty on that? I got a little misty. Because, I mean, he's they've had this huge fight. They've had all these things happen. And he's like, you know, you're so brave and you're, you're so strong. And I wanted to tell you. And, yeah, he ends with, you know, mm-hmm. you're my hero. And, I, and that's so sweet because the whole time Seth has been Justin's hero. And Justin goes on to absolutely decimate yeah, this it's not girl. even close. It's like, not yeah. even close to the end of like half a car ahead, yeah. He decimates her. And there's this massive celebration at the finish line that the family arrives a little bit late to. And I don't know if either of you caught this, but in the celebration, Justin is surrounded by a mob of people. Patting him on the back, slapping him on the shoulder, giving him uh, some platitudes, like, great job. And then there's this one kid who is has his hand above Justin's head. 
and is miming as if he's rubbing his head, but not actually touching his head. <laughs> That's funny. I of, didn't see that. It's just sort of floating over his head. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I don't know if that kid was just like, nah, I don't want to do this. Just like, mm, mime it. I thought that was very funny. And we get the snapshot scenes of victory, winning the race, getting the massive trophy, it being taken home. And all is right in the world because we have dad and Seth bonding outside playing some basketball. Well, it's a really nice parallel to the opening shot mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the movie, which is, Justin longingly watching outside as Seth plays basketball and wishing he could be a part of it and being sad to now having a trophy on his shelf and watching dad and Seth play basketball outside and being happy. And you know what else we get? God. God comes back. And the most wild shit happens. Oh, oh my yeah. God. This, this, dude, scene this is insane. This was crazy. The movie should have ended. I, Let's be clear. In I my gasped. script, the movie ends. I audibly here. gasped. I, it it oh. really needed to end before this scene happened. Oh, it I, needed to end. This scene is bananas. It needed to end with Justin looking outside at Seth and Dad playing basketball and then looking at his trophy. Cut. Cut. In yeah. scene. End of the end. movie. But instead, instead, what we get is Justin having another conversation with race car driver God and saying something like, hey, God, is heaven perfect? I, God- I will say, he says, pretty good plan. And God's mm. like, oh, I'm glad you like it. That also would have been a fine ending. Agreed. If you really want to end on the, this scene, if this is your through line, it would have been a fine ending for him to go. You know, he's, he said, because there has been a through line of like, why is this in the plan? Do you have a plan? This doesn't seem like you have a, it would have been a fine ending for him to say, Hey, that was a pretty good plan. And for God to be like, I'm glad you liked it or whatever. And like fade to black. That would have been perfectly okay. I would have preferred Molly's ending, but that would have been a perfectly acceptable and reasonable ending to this movie. As an option B, I'll take it, right? If if you don't get option A, option B, cool. No, 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 no. In their script, they they go to option C, which is... This has to be like option... X. Like, yeah. this had to be so I, They're very fast. What a fucking crazy ending. And he goes, hey, so I also thought in this one was like, is Justin dead? I thought he was dead. I thought <laughs> he was dead. I also wanted to know if he was dead. <laughs> I Thank he was God dying. he's not. He's I, went not. And watched, I went and watched a YouTube interview with him afterwards because I had to know. Yeah. He says to God, in heaven, am I like this or is everybody perfect? And, and he says, do you want to find out? Which is why I thought he I was, was like, dead. Oh, shit. I, I, thought he is dead. I thought he was dying. I thought he was like, now's your time. You won your trophy and now you're dead now. You're dead. But he's not. Nope. But God gets his like key, janitor key like ring. His janitor keys, like the long like <laughs> key <laughs> sticks into this door. The pearly gates. The pearly like, seemingly gates. he opens the pearly gates <laughs> to heaven. They, but they look like a mechanic. Like they don't. Look I don't know what they look like. They look crazy. They're, but they're like big they're like metal, metal doors, and they got pearls in them. Like they look like they got pearls. They in open them. up the pearly gates again. If you're familiar with the literature, if that shit opens, you dead, son. Like yeah. you're you're dead. So he opens the pearly gate. Uh, opens up the gates 
and we get a scene of the craziest uh, year <laughs> 2000 special effects I've ever seen. I, the, the craziest year 2000 effects that have ever existed of just a flock of wheelchairs. <laughs> yep. In angelic garb and, 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 surrounded in angelic light floating one of of them's like a little kid which is Uh, sad like like the like the angels i guess like are flying and some of them come close enough where you can see them and make out what kind of person they are and the first two i'm pretty sure are adults but this the third one is like a four-year-old little girl and you're like well now i'm sad that this little girl's in heaven like uh, and they all have wheelchairs and then it cuts back to Justin who goes it's perfect and like I understand what you're trying to say and I think that's nice but also this is bananas mm-hmm. and that's how they end the movie that's that's how they chose to end the movie yep. not, not, not our A, A ending or B ending they went with Q and that's what they, they ended with and that is Miracle and Lane 2. Folks, we we did it. Man, we did it. What a ride. All right, so two. what are your what are your what are your ratings of this of this film? Max, we'll start with you this time. I'm going to give it a 7. 7, okay? Yeah. I think that I mean undeniably way better than what we've been watching. The la- it's way better than the last two movies. I think the writing of this movie is good. I think the handling of uh, very complex family dynamics is good. I think the handling of uh, Justin's disability is good. I think that they make some cuckoo story decisions, uh, especially when it comes to fantastical interludes and the fucking ending. Um, actually, I'm going to revise that. I'm going to give it a 7.3 because mom and dad fuck. Um, and the fact <laughs> that, they, the that they really hammer that home. And, uh, and Much in like year, dad. Am I right? In, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong, <laughs> yeah, mommy. In year, <laughs> in year 2000, they are being so sex positive on Disney Channel. Uh, I'm quite impressed by. So I'm revising my rating a 7.3. Not without faults. It's certainly not a color of friendship to me where I only really had one criticism. I've, I have several criticisms of this movie, but uh, generally speaking, I think it's pretty good, well above average, and, and 7.3. Okay. Malls? I was going to give it like a 7.5, because I agree that it. this is another one where I don't have, even though I watched it, I don't have like nostalgia for it, and I don't need to watch it again, whereas like it wasn't necessarily an enjoyable watch. Mm-hmm. But it's a very well done movie for a decom. Mm. The characters are well done. The writing is pretty good. Um, I gotta knock it for the miscarriage joke. I think yeah. that joke is absolutely ridiculous and bonkers to me that that was made. I also, as I said, think the God is a mechanic bit was unnecessary. So I'm gonna knock it to a to a six point nine. This nice. is a seven for me. Solid six point nine. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Just like mom, mom and dad, mom and mom dad, and would, dad. would appreciate that. Yeah, they get they, it. They really do. This is a solid movie. Seven for me. There, it's not without its flaws. I think that we could have done without the God subplot and all of this. Um, I can understand why it, it made its appearance, but I just think it detracted from the overall messaging of the movie. 
Other than that, it's just a solid movie. If it came yeah. on, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be mad that it's on. I'm not gonna change the channel like I would if it was like, don't look under the bed. If it's don't look under the bed, I just turn off the TV. Solid movie overall. Yeah, and I think you know ultimately, like I, I I'm sort of as I watch it and knowing the context of how this movie came up, I'm sort of whatever on the like religious thread through here. You know, I, I think I, I understand why it's there and and how they're using it to push a sort of a moral teaching or whatever. I think for me, it's just like it. I, I don't guess I care. I think some of it's ridiculous, but I, I don't think I care if it's there. I just think that the rest of this movie is strong enough that it would be stronger if it was more focused. Yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't I think that this movie is super strong. It's a long decom. This is a two hour decom. Yeah. And I think that if this movie was an hour and a half and cut some of the fluff, it would be a better film. I agree. So I, agree. I, I just think it needs editing. And I would, I personally would edit some of those fantastic interludes. I'd, I'd leave the courtroom scene, but I'd also cut the funeral wheelchair thing. Yeah, like, funeral I, wheelchair I, thing I, I'd cut that too. Like I, I think part of the problem with, the religious scenes is the writing isn't good. Whereas yeah. the writing is so good everywhere else that it, yeah, it stands out. It's again, I'm, I agree with you. It's not because it's a religious thing that I don't like it. It's because the writing and the characters are so well developed everywhere else that then yeah. you just kind of throw in this one dimensional mechanic with dumb one liners. It, it cheapens the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think the movie is just overall a higher quality film if you just let the story that's that's there really be the sit. story. Just let it be the be the thing. Right? It doesn't need anything other than what it is, and that is yeah. a great story about a kid overcoming adversity. So, it looks as if the the users on IMDb agrees with us. It's mostly tens. There are some nines. There is one that is a. It's titled "Uplifting Movie with an Outstanding Cast." This movie caught my eye one day a little over a year ago on Disney Channel. I watched Malcolm in the Middle mm. regularly, as you would, mm. and recognized Frankie Muniz. However, it was not him I came away loving. It was Patrick Levis. Patrick plays Seth. I have a brother of my own with a disability, so I understood every single one of Seth's feelings and frustrations. The scene in which Seth mm. breaks down and spills his feelings to his father was especially poignant. Thank you, Patrick, for such a beautiful and understanding performance. The movie is careful not to deny any of the truths of being a sibling to someone with a disability, a rare and wonderful thing for films. All in all, a magnificent piece of work, especially for a made-for-TV movie. I picked this review in particular because I think it is, this is the demographic of somebody who watches this and comes away with the message that sort of resonates and hit home for them in a very real way, which is, I think, exactly the intent and point of a movie like Miracle in Lane 2 or even on a larger scale, The Color of Friendship, right? So when Mm. I saw this review, I was very pleased that it was like somebody who says, Hey, I identify with this strongly and here's why that's very cool to see. Yeah. All right. So up next we have stepsister from planet weird, which is going to be a massive tone switch. I can't (laughs) wait. Yeah, we do. This movie is bonkers. I've not seen it. Bonkers. Uh, You're in for a ride. Alan. It is something. Or is it something or is it something else? It's all the above. And spoiler alert, I already have at least the first third of the Armageddon sequence. And oh, I'm good. thrilled. Nice. Mm. My my uh, childhood crush, Courtney Draper, makes another appearance. Uh, oh. Back to the community theater and back into her second decom with this one. So we will we'll get the mm. return of Courtney Draper. Well, looking forward to uh, to experiencing this for the first time and sharing my thoughts with both of you. 
Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review, like, rate, all the things. It really does help us out. Uh, follow us on socials at Mammoth Club or at Mammoth underscore club. And until next time, thank you all so much for listening. We will see you for Stepsister from Planet Weird. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.